Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, okay? 1 Peter chapter 5. This lesson's a little bit different, okay? A little bit different because we've been, we're seeing our study of angels and demons, and the study's unique. And uh, what does the Bible tell us about these beings? We've, we've seen a lot. We looked at the good angels and the bad angels and, and spirit, these spirit beings created by God. Our focus in these last weeks has been the devil, you know, we the first four lessons were basically good angels, and then from that point on, it's been the devil. And then we're going to get on a little bit, then the last two lessons will deal more with demons and the occult, and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. Uh, the devil's the anointed cherub who guarded the throne of God. In his pride, he fell, he was removed, and he leads a rebellion against God. We've been looking at the details for several weeks. We talked about how he dealt with both believers and unbelievers. His goal for the unbeliever, not to trust Christ. His goal for the believer, not to serve Christ. And in this lesson, we're going to see two things, two key areas, number one and number two. Number one, we're going to look at the judgments of Satan. We've touched on this already. I mean, we've mentioned it. We talked about it, but we've, we've not really put it down so much. We're going to talk about how God, what happens to him, what has happened to him, what will happen to him. And then number two, we're going to see how do we deal with the devil? How do we deal with him? Because we've been seeing all this time, and we talk about that, he, you know, uh, the, these Spirit beings are in this room right now. And you know, there's times when, when, when we study stuff like this that you can almost feel the opposition. Sometimes. And so we're going to, how do we deal with the devil? We're, we're, each of us in a fallen world with a fallen angel seeking to destroy us. How do we believers, how do we have victory? And it's a little bit unique tonight. You might not have ever heard me put something together like this as far as, I mean, we already know that you get armor of God and that kind of stuff, but I want to show you some things we'll see as we go through it, and we'll put it together. Let's raise this point. What is sin? By the way, what is sin? sin. Death of the Spirit. Uh, the, doing contrary to God. Okay, doing contrary. All right, it's, uh, the Bible says, Sin is lawlessness, sin is rebellion, sin is going contrary to the will of God. Sin is doing anything contrary to what God has said for us to do. The Bible says sin is lawlessness or it's disobedience. Let me raise this question. Are some sins worse than others? According to who? I heard somebody say, well, I'm asking the question. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Does all sin break fellowship with God? Yes. So if it's um, so-called little white lie or murder, they both break fellowship with God. Am I right? Right. Are the consequences of some sins seem to be greater than others? Yeah. I think, think about King David. King David was the king of Israel, and he, we know what he did. And that, there were consequences for the rest of his life. But he wasn't the only person that ever did that. And what we, because of his position and because of what was going on. I mean, so, so sometimes you could say, if you think a bad thought, is, are the consequences of thinking a bad thought the same as stealing from your neighbor? Well, according to the Bible, it is. What, say that again? According to the Bible, it is. It is? Tell me why and how. I know. I mean, I thought. I think you. I thought you just said that according to the Bible, they weren't the same. Are you saying according to the Bible, they are the same? Yes. Okay. According I, to the Bible, yeah. I, I, they're the same in the sense that they both break fellowship, but the consequences are not always the same. I got science problems, so bear with me. Huh? I got science problems. I can't talk. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. So we think about sin. We know that sin breaks fellowship, but some sins seem to have greater consequences than others. Under the Mosaic Law. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, if you fail to offer a proper sacrifice, like just a regular guy, what did you have to do? Sometimes you had to bring a different sacrifice. But if you committed murder, what happened to you? You got killed. But both of them are sins, right? So there is a concept that sometimes there are some sins... All sins break fellowship, but not all sins have the same consequences. Now, let me ask you this. Is there a sin that seems to stand out or be worse than any other sin? Yeah. Original sin. Pride. Okay, see, and that's exactly what I have. I have that it seems to me that the root of almost all rebellion and sin goes back to pride. 
Pride led to the fall of Satan. Pride led to the fall of man. When you start talking about the Christian life, when you start talking about living, it's always that way. Listen to this. Proverbs 3.34. God scoffs at the scoffers. He gives grace to the afflicted. The word afflicted there literally means the humble. Do you ever see in the, in the Bible where the proud are what? What happens to the proud? They fall. What happens to the humble? They're exalted. God, hum, Jesus Christ, humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. So we find that there's this aspect of humility and pride all throughout the Bible. And so tonight, when we think about Satan, we're going to talk about humility because how in the world do we have victory over this being? And it goes back. We'll talk about it a little bit later. It's, the word is humility. And so we're, we're going to see how that fits. So as we look at this lesson, we're going to see the judgments on the devil and dealing with the devil. The first one is how God deals with the devil. The second one is how we deal with the devil. Okay? So let's look at the first one, and that is the judgment, uh, the judgments of the devil. It should say judgments. It's, it should be plural. The judgments of the devil. I'm gonna. I don't have something. To, I do have something to write. With. Remember, this is the first draft through this study, so we're gonna we're correcting it as we go. The judgments of the devil. So let's think about it. God, God, he's evil. God has dealt with Satan and will deal with him. He has dealt with Satan already, and he will deal with him in the future. All throughout the Bible, we've seen what happens to the devil. I mean, I could ask you right now. We don't even have to go down the list here in just a minute because we're going to go down a list. But I could just say to you, name some things you know, and you could start throwing some things out. See, we know that Jesus Christ is victorious. We know that he has already gained the greatest victory. Where was the greatest victory? At the cross, it was. So I mean, we, we already know that. So let's think about God's judgments on Satan. And we're just going to touch on it. Here's A. A is this. After his rebellion, he lost his position in heaven. Right? That was a judgment. What was his? What was his responsibility? He, what? He, well, he was... He guarded the throne of God. He guarded the throne of God, and he lost that position. He was what called... He was called the what? The anointed cherub, which that's a big time. You're right. So he he was he lost his position in heaven. Wow. Here's some questions just for you to think about. It said he guarded the throne of God, doesn't it? What's he guarding it from? <laughs> right. We're talking about long before creation of man, most likely. What's he guarding it from? Or was it symbolic in the sense that he got to be at the throne of God? Who knows? I don't know. But he lost that position. B, he was judged in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. What was the judgment? Well, the serpent's going to go on his belly, but what about the seed of the serpent? It's going to be crushed, right? Yeah, he's judged right there. So there's two judgments. The third one, C, he was judged at the cross, which I think is the, is the most famous one of all that we always think about. Colossians chapter 2, where he paid for sin. He conquered sin. He conquered death. Uh, he crushed the head of the serpent. Uh, he gained the great victory there. And that's the greatest victory of all. That's, the whole, that's what the whole Bible looked to, the cross of Jesus Christ. The whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament, everything looks back. We look back to the cross. They all looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, the cross. And that, that's where it was all one right there. And that's why, you know, we talked about, was it several weeks ago when we said, how was the cross the best day, the best thing and the worst thing? It was the best thing because that's where Jesus paid for the sin of all mankind. It's the worst thing because that's where Satan, in a sense, looked like he had his victory, that Jesus had to be separated from the Father. Have you ever thought about that? Because of, let me say it this way. Let's say I have, let's say I hit my toe and I, and I say a bad word. Is that a sin? Okay, because of that, Jesus was separated from the Father. You realize that? One sin, any sin, anything that's wrong is sin, and the wages of sin is, and if Jesus Christ is going to deal with the sin of mankind, every sin, every person, all time, then if there was one person, and the one person said a bad word, so to speak, and that was wrong... Then Jesus went to the cross and was separated the Father. Now, uh, how many sins did any of y'all do today? 
How many bad thoughts did we have? How many things did we say or do? How many things did we look at? That we, I mean, we did wrong and just realized that our Savior, Jesus Christ, went to the cross for that. But it was the greatest victory of all time. And it was victory over Satan. Because that's what God made the promise back in, in the garden. D, uh, he will be cast out of heaven during the tribulation. He won't have access to heaven. Does Satan have access to heaven now? Yeah, he does. He can come. What does he do? He what? Say it. Say it. He accuses us. Yeah, he can come up there anytime he wants to. And he doesn't even have to lie. He still lies. I guarantee he lies even when he doesn't have to. Because he's a liar. John eight forty four. He's a liar from the beginning. He's always been a liar. He lied to Adam and Eve. He lies to us. He lies to every person. He, all he wants to do is stop us. And he will be cast out of heaven during the tribulation. And he knows there's a place that uh, in Revelation 12 where it says he knows his time is short. He doesn't have very long. Most likely it's about midway through the tribulation when he gets cast out. So he's got three and a half years to do something. He's evil. Huh? Question? Okay. All right. Got that one? How about E? He will be imprisoned in the abyss for a thousand years. Revelation 20. We know that Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. We're in the church age right now. What's the next event? Rapture. And there we're gone, and we're up there with Him. And that may be where we have the judgment seat of Christ. We don't know for sure when. It could even be down here somewhere. We're not sure. But then there's a seven-year tribulation, and that's where Satan, probably halfway through, the Antichrist puts his idol up in the temple. God cast him out of heaven when the judgments are coming. And then there's a thousand-year reign of Christ. And when Jesus comes the second time and starts the thousand-year reign of Christ, he takes Satan and puts him in a giant abyss. And he's there for a thousand years. And he can't deceive the nations during that thousand years. Can't deceive people. Because he's not there. Well, you had to ask him because it just says he will be released at the end of the thousand years. And he is. And, and here's what I think. I think that God shows us that even during the thousand years when Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, there's still rebellion and sin on this earth. It, it doesn't matter whether he puts you in a perfect garden. It doesn't matter whether he gives you the church and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter whether he puts you under a mosaic law. It doesn't matter whether he puts you in a kingdom in which he's ruling in righteousness and justice. Man still rebels. And there's going to be great rebellion at the very end. And I think one of the reasons he releases Satan is to bring that rebellion together to show the rebellion. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a great point. Because remember we said that, that we sin... And the truth is, we don't sin because the devil made us sin. We sin because what? We choose to sin. Now, he influences the fallen world, and there's a whole demonic thing out there, and we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But, and we've been watching the devil and all he's trying to do. But the truth is, he doesn't make you sin, does he? Huh. I mean, he doesn't need to even help me. Right? I mean, I sin pretty easy. I mean, I'm slippery on sinning. I can sin real easy. So there, there's a possibility that we're saying that even in a thousand-year reign with Jesus Christ as the king and Satan not even there, mankind still rebels. I mean, that, it's just hard to imagine. Huh? Well, where it's fallen, that's the real issue. Okay, and then with what? F? And then F is he'll be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20. So, he's cast out from his position in heaven at the throne. Then he was judged in the garden. And then he was judged on the cross. And then he's cast out of heaven during the tribulation. Then he's put in a big hole for a thousand years. And then he'll be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20. And there's also Matthew uh, chapter 20, chapters 24 and 25 where it talks about it. I think it's 2441, but I'm not completely sure, but I think it is. Okay. So is God going to judge the devil? Has he already judged him? Yeah. What was the greatest judgment? The cross. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about dealing with the devil. Now, this is going to be a little bit different. We're going to get to some things that you know, but I'm going to bring some things to your mind that you might not have thought of it exactly in this way. How do we deal with the devil? I think there's a word, and I've got it here. How do we have victory? What is the key? And the key is humility. Write that down. Because what, what, what did you say a while ago is the worst of all the sins aspect? Pride. So if we're going to have victory over the one who is prideful, how do we have victory? 
Humility. Let's talk about how does this work. We can't, listen, when we deal with the devil, it's got to be humility. We can't fight him. We can't win against him. We can't. We have to trust God and our Savior to give us the victory. The only way we can have victory in the spiritual battle is humility dependent on God rather than self. We trust in God, not ourselves. I have to tell this story, and I'm, you know, some of you have heard me say this before, but um, one time back there was a campus, that's, if I said the name you'd know it, but there's a campus organization and back, oh it's been like 20 years ago because I've been here a long time, and they asked me to come speak, and I said sure I'll be glad to speak, it's like on a Thursday night and they have all the kids come in, and before I spoke though they had a band there, a Christian band to sing several songs, but one of their songs was we're going to stomp all over the devil. That was the name of the song. And in the words to the song were we're going to go fight the devil. We're going to go look for him. We're going to stomp him to the ground. We're going to, and I'm listening to that song and I'm saying, you don't want to go fight the devil. You don't, he's, not, he is, he's a powerful being. And nowhere in the Bible does it say for you to go after the devil. We're not fighting the devil. We're not going after the devil. In fact, pride says I go after the devil. Humility says I don't go after the devil. I get as close to God as I can get. So when we think about dealing with the devil, the key is humility. We trust in God, not ourselves. We're to live in humility, not depending on ourselves, but depending on God. Because pride always brings what? Pride always causes a what? A fall. Always. Listen, if you want to mess up, all you have to do is think how great you are. If you want to mess up, it's just think you, you got it under control. If you want to mess up, you just say, I don't need you today, Lord. I can do whatever I want to do. <laughs> Listen, you can. You, I mean, and that's, uh, pride is, and we li- sometimes we live like that. We don't say it. We don't necessarily even think it, but we live as if we don't need him. And sometimes we only call on him when we think we need him. And that's why we fail. <laughs> And so the bottom line is the humility aspect. Pride always caused the fall. If you think you're okay, you'll fall. Take heed lest you think you stand, you what? You fall. It's always that way. We're going to look at two passages. I'm going to let you see them. And we're going to look at two passages. And they're both dealing with a spiritual battle. And both shows humility is how we have victory. So you're going to like it. So you're in first, you should be at 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. And I want you to see how this fits together. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now in the context, it's dealing with relationships within the body. Okay? In the context. And it's actually dealing even with leadership. And that's why I put out 1 Peter 5, 5. And he's talking about older men and younger men. And he says, younger men, verse 5 says, Younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Okay, think about that. And most of the time, you got an older man and a younger man. Who thinks they're better? Younger, younger man. Oh, I, I, I'll run you. I can do that. And the old guy goes, yeah, I can't hardly walk half the time. You know, and, but in the body of Christ, who's usually in leadership? Because there's some wisdom there. It takes a little. So what does he say here? Younger men, likewise, be what? Subject to your what? To the elders, okay? And enclose yourself with what? Humility. Okay, now he's starting this principle, and the principle that I want you to see is humility. The passage deals with humility, and then he quotes the verse, Proverbs three thirty four. Look at the verse says, For God is opposed to what? To the proud, but does what? Gives grace to the humble. Okay, now I want you to remember that. You're going to see that again here in just a few minutes. Because the Bible quotes that a lot. I mean, the, the writers and God puts that out. I mean, what's the key? Tell me what it says again. God is opposed to what? Proud. And he does what? Gives grace to the humble. You want the grace of God? What do you got to do? You humble yourself. You say, I mean, when, okay, let's say I'm teaching this class. Do I get up and go, I can handle this. I know what I'm going to teach. I know how I'm going to handle this. Is that how I do it? I get up, I'm coming up, and I'm saying, oh, Lord, please use me. Help me put this together and help it come out where people can understand it. I mean, we, you can't have pride and serve the Lord. And so he starts off by just saying, younger men come unto the older men, and then he quotes, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And now he's going to turn from that, and he's going to turn now to the spiritual battle that's going on. And watch what he says. Now, he quoted the verse again, Proverbs three thirty four. God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. And look what he says. 
Verse 6. Therefore, what does he say? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may do what? Exalt you at the right time. So there's humility and exaltation. Okay? You humble yourself, he'll exalt you. And he's saying, how do we live? How do we live the Christian life? In what? Humility. Listen, if you live it in pride, what is that? What's pride? Pride's sin. So watch. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. So the verse where I've got there, 5, 6, you should write, humble yourselves to God. Okay? Come under his authority. It's, it's his authority. Now remember, we're, not, we're in a battle, aren't we? What kind of battle is it? It's a spiritual battle. We can't even see the enemy, right? I mean, you haven't seen him lately, have you? Have you seen those demons? You haven't seen them, right? So we're in a battle with an enemy you can't even see. Are we going to go out in pride or are we going to go out in humility? Are we going to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm coming under your authority. I'm dependent on you, Lord. So watch what he says. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your what? Your cares, your anxiety in him, because he cares for you. Now watch, he's not through. In verse 7, he says, cast all your cares on him. You've got to give him the cares. Why? Because this is the battle. This is the battle. And watch what he does. It's beautiful. Verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So why verse 8 says, why your adversary the what? The devil. Your adversary the devil, and he's like a what? A roaring lion. Now how did he say we deal with him? What did he say for us to do? Humble yourself, come under his authority, cast all your cares upon him, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Because in humility, you can come under God. You're coming under His authority. You're humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God because you have an enemy that you can't even see. He's like a roaring lion, and He wants to devour you. And look what it goes on to say. But resist Him firm in your faith. How do you resist Him? You stand. You, you resist Him because you come under the authority of who? Of God. It, you, who's fighting the battle? God's fighting the battle, not you. You're not stomping all over the devil. You're not going after him. You're not saying, I'm going to get the devil. You're not going to bind Satan. I've had people say, I'm going to bind Satan. I said, well, you better get a long rope because he will come after you and eat you to pieces. By the way, the handout should say, in humility, resist the devil in God's power. Okay? There's a mistake. So that little sentence said, in humility, resist the devil in God's power. Firm. No, it says in humility rest the devil. That's a that's a typo. Yeah. Unless y'all's is right and mine's wrong, but I think huh? y'all's is wrong too. Okay, I, I thought it was. I saw it today. In humility we rest in God's power. Now, tell me what we just learned. There's a battle going on, right? And it's a spiritual battle. And ha what's the key word for victory in the spiritual battle? It's humility. And what does that mean? How? It's not pride. Because pride is the opposite of humility, right? So wh what, wh what, is, how, what, what does humility do? We, we come and we say we come under the mighty hand of God. We're coming under God. We say, it's you, Lord, and I'm casting my cares on you. I can't fight this battle because you are the authority, and I give it all to you because I know when I'm humble, you will raise me up. And so then I've got to be really ready. Why? Because I have an enemy. Who is he? He's Satan. He's the devil. And he wants to destroy you. He's a roaring lion. And the only way you can have victory is resist him by being firm in the faith. And how is that? You are my strength and my shield. And you all ever pray that? You ever wake up in the morning and say, Oh, Lord, you're my strength and shield. Thank you for taking me or take me through this day. I do. There's no way you can make it. You can't make it in your strength. In fact, if you think you can make it in your strength, that's called what? Pride. And if you say, I can't make it my strength, I have to come under the hand of God, that's called humility. That's how you have victory. Okay, so have you ever thought about that passage from First Peter? 
I mean, we all know the verse about the roaring lion, but did you realize that the whole way that you have victory there is through humility and coming under the hand of God? Okay, you ready for another one? Turn to James. And by the way, before you go there, the, 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 the humility is not pride. That's the key under God's authority, humbling ourselves, trusting in Him. And, and if we want to have victory over the devil in the Christian life, it's coming under the authority of God. Okay, now, the second passage is just turn just a few pages back toward the front of your Bible to James, the book of James, chapter 4. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to use the exact same verse. This is James and Peter, and they use the exact same verse and the exact same idea of humility, okay? James chapter 4, we're going to see it. This is dealing with conflict. It begins with conflict in the body. But remember, if you've got conflict in the Bible, where is that coming from? What's Satan's plan in the body? Cause division. L listen to James 4 verse 1. What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Are there conflicts and quarrels among people in the body of Christ? Who's glad about that? Satan, that's his plan. He says, it's not the source of your pleasures. You wage war in your members. You lust and you commit murder. You're envious. You, you, know, you fight and you quarrel. You, you ask for prayer requests, but you don't get it because you ask with the wrong motives. You're an adulteress and for your hostility will get toward God. And he's just saying, y'all have got great conflict. And so then what does he say? He says in verse 6, but God gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, look at the verse. What is it? Proverbs 3.34. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives what? Grace to them. Where did you see that a while ago? That was First Peter. That's the same verse. It's the same thing. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hmm? Do what? What? Oh, is something wrong? It should say gives? Yeah, yeah. okay. Thank you for bringing that up. We're gonna, this one's got a lot of errors on it. God give, God give grace. God gives grace. Okay. If you see them, let me know because we're going to correct it because, you know, next time we do it, we want it where it's better. Y'all are the guinea pigs. Yeah. So God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So now watch what he does. Submit. Now, what, what did we find out a while ago? In humility here, what did he say? Come under the what? The hand of God and the authority of God. What does he say in this passage? Submit, therefore, to God. Is that the same thing? Yes. Submit to God. That's humility, right? Because he just said, God gives poses the proud, gives grace to the humble, therefore, submit, therefore, to God. And then what did he say a while ago in that other passage? Resist the devil, right? This says, resist the devil, and he will what? He's going to flee. You've got to stand. You, you got, you're gonna, he's going to flee. Why does he flee? Because you're so good? Why does he flee? Because God's so good. Whose authority are you under? Listen, if I were to say something like this, you know, I've been thinking about this, and in my opinion, this is right. You know what you could say? Who cares what your opinion is? If I said, the Word of God says this, that's the authority. When, we, when we're trying to live the Christian life, He's our authority. We come under His authority. We, he's the battle one. He, we're coming under the hand of God. We're coming under His authority. We're submitting to Him. We're casting our cares upon Him in humility because God gives grace to the humble. That's, and what happens? We've already seen that we have victory in the battle. In this one it says, resist the devil and he'll do what? He'll flee. He can't, he can't be around God. I mean, what I'm saying, he, 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 he would like to be able to be like God, but when God shows up, he, he has to go because God's powerful. So verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now watch what the next verse says. Draw near to God, and he will do what? Draw near to God to you. He's never away from you. He's never away. In humility. So when we think about victory in the Christian life, 
against the fallen world, against this devil, against this one who's like a roaring lion who wants to devour us, who would love to destroy us, who would love to stop us from ever ser- serving because it's too late now because we already believers. How are we going to do it? What do we do? We humble ourselves, come under the hand of God, come into His authority, submit to Him, cast all our cares upon Him, take a stand with Him, stand strong, and then we resist the devil, and he does what? He leaves. He leaves. That's the only way you have victory. Now, I know that there's a whole bunch of people that teach, you know, that we're going to bind the devil and go after him and whip him and all this, and we've got all the authority. No, Jesus is the authority. We're not the authority. We're coming under his authority. We're coming under his hand. We're coming under his mighty hand. And we just say something like this. You get him. Right? You know at the second coming? Who's coming with Jesus at the second coming? We are. What are we riding? What's he riding? White horse. Who's going first? Who's doing all the fighting? He is. You know what we're saying to him? Go ahead. You, you go ahead. We're, we're right here. We're looking good on our horses, right? What do we, how do we live the Christian life? We say, go ahead. You're our strength and our shield. We come under your mighty hand. We come under your authority. We cast our cares upon you. We submit to you. You are our strength and shield. And when we stand strong, because we're going to see it in just a minute when we look at the armor of God. Armor of God is all defensive. There's no offensive there at all. We're not fighting. We're not going out to fight the devil. He says, put on the armor and do what? Stand. You've got to remember that. So how are we going to have victory? Humility. Okay, so the way to have victory is to submit to God, come under His authority. And when we come under His authority, depending on Him, not ourselves, we will be able to have the victory. So how does it work? Okay, did, did we do verse 8? I did, did Draw near to God. Did right? Okay, we got that. Okay, so how does it work? So turn to Ephesians. We'll look at this real quickly. Most of us already know all of this anyway, but I want you to see it just for fun. Ephesians chapter 6, you know that in Ephesians chapter 6, there's, it's the armor of God passage. And I love the passage because, let, let me ask you a question just for fun. We'll leave all this right here for a second. Let, let me ask you a question. In, when Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, where was Paul? He was in prison in Rome. And he wrote four letters while he was in prison in Rome. And one of them was the Ephesian letter. And he was in a house arrest. Now, he wasn't in a dungeon. When he wrote Second Timothy, he was in a dungeon. He was in a hole in the ground, and he was about to be put to death. And he was freezing, and he told somebody, bring a cloak, bring some of the you know, parchments and everything. But when he wrote Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, those four letters, he was in house arrest. He was in a house. People could come see him, but he couldn't leave. And he was chained to... Uh, Guard, a Roman soldier. They called him the Praetorium Guard because he was in Rome. Praetorium Guard were the guards that guarded the emperor, guarded everything. They were the best. They were the top of the line. And you know that if you're chained to Paul for, let's say, six hours, eight hours, four hours, what's Paul going to do? Hey, I'd like to talk to you about something that's really important. You know, and this guy's not going to be able to say, well, I'm leaving. He can't leave because he can't leave because he can't take Paul with him, right? I mean, so Paul witnessed, and, and he even said in Philippians that a large number of praetorium guards had come to know Christ as Savior. Can you imagine that? Think about that. So when Paul is chained to a guard and he writes Ephesians, he looks over and he says, hmm, put on the the belt of this and the breastplate of this and the shoes of this and the sword of the, and the helmet of this and the shield because he's looking at a soldier and he describes what the soldier wears but he takes it all and puts it all for us in a spiritual battle so are we in a battle do we do the fighting no who does the fighting God does. We, in humility, we come under His authority. We submit to Him. We come under the mighty hand of God. We cast all our cares upon Him. We stand strong, and the enemy will be defeated. Okay? But we're not fighting Him. So watch what He says. I love this passage. I'm going to go through it real fast because most of you know it, so I don't want to you know, bore you with 
the armor of God. We've studied it many times. We've taught Ephesians about three times over the last 30 years, and there's just a lot of good stuff in it. But let's look, look at, uh, let, let's start in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. I call it the armor of God. Okay, you can write that in there. It's the armor of God passage. And I think that, um, I, I don't know how often do we ever think about putting on the armor. Do you ever think about it when you wake up in the morning? About putting on the armor? I mean, think about it. Uh, I do oftentimes say, oh, Lord, I, you know, you're the strength of shield. You know, I, I just want to live for you. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trusting you. I, I, I give it all to you. I want to live for you. I'm, I'm not trying to win the battle. He is. But look what he says here. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's verse 10. So this, the strength is, is in the Lord. And then what he says in verse 11, put on the what? The full armor. Now, I want you to notice that it's the full armor of God. He didn't say put on the armor of God. Because armor could have been a shield and a sword. Armor could have been a helmet and a, and a sword and something else. He said put on the full armor of God. It is a special Greek word that is the word for full armor. And it means everything. Everything that you have to have. And so he says put on the full armor of God. Now, notice what he says. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to what? Okay, look. We said that a while ago, didn't we? Stand. Stand firm. You notice he doesn't say so that you'd be able to go out and fight the devil. He doesn't say it, does he? he, he we, know, we know it's a spiritual battle. He's fixing to tell us it's a spiritual battle. But he nowhere says you put on the armor so you can go attack the devil and whip him. He never says that. Look what he says. So put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to what? Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. What schemes? Huh? What is a scheme? A plot. It's, a, it's, it's something he makes up. It's something that he lies about. It's something that he brings to your life that affects you, that fools you. It's what he told Adam and Eve, that they wouldn't die. And he tells us God doesn't love you. And he tells you you can't trust this book. And he tells you all these things, and he's a liar from the beginning. And so he's got schemes out there, and he's trying to trick you all the time. He's trying to trick you all the time. Uh, I'm going to do my income tax. You know, nobody, nobody, nobody really puts everything down. I mean, you just, you don't, you do it in cash. Do it in cash. What? Everybody does that. That's a lie. That's a lie to make you do wrong. You know, just, it's out there all the time. Schemes of the devil. So look at verse 12. Our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Who is the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places? The devil and his angels. It is. That's who it is. And so he says what? We are in a what battle? Spiritual battle. That's where we are. So now the second time he's going to say it, look what he says. Therefore, take up the what? Full armor of God so that you will be able to what? Resist in the evil day and having done everything to do what? Stand firm. Now look. What did he say over here? Resist the devil and what? What will he do? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What does he say to do here? Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. What's the evil day? Any day he comes after you, he's evil. And, and having done everything, stand firm. How many times has he said stand so far? Two or three times. Are we supposed to go fight or stand? Stand. You cannot go after him. You've got to put on the armor. You've got to depend on Jesus Christ. You've got to come under the authority of God. You've got to resist and stand firm. That's the only way you're going to have victory. You have an enemy that despises you, that would love to destroy you going to try to. He's going to try to destroy you. He will find ways in your life that will affect you and he will try to destroy you. That's what he tries to do. He's more evil than you can imagine. We can't play around with him. We don't take him too lightly. We don't believe he does everything, but we know how bad he is. And so he says, therefore, put on this full armor of God. Put everything on so that you'll be able to resist. You've got to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand. So he already said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the streams of my put on full armor of God that you'll be able to stand. Verse 11, stand. Verse 13, stand. Verse 14, what does he say? 
stand firm. Three times he says stand. He says resist. He says patient cares. Submit. Humility. God is the strength. Come under his hand. That's the only way you're going to do it. Now, so what is this full armor of God? And we're going to touch on it just very quickly. By the way, you know, the battle, and I have to say this, the battle is not offensive. I've had people say, um, yes, the battle, it is offensive because you have the what? You have the sword and you're going to go fight. He didn't say that at all, did he? Did Jesus use the word of God as a sword? He did. When? In the temptation. He said, do this. And what did Jesus do? He said, Deuteronomy says, that's the word of God. He, by the way, Jesus wasn't looking for the devil, was he? Jesus didn't go after the devil. Jesus went out and it, he was out to be tempted by the devil, but he wasn't looking for the devil. In fact, he's out there 40 days. Best we can tell, 40 days and, and didn't see the devil as far as we know. Who knows? So that's the first one. The belt of what? He says, stand from there having... Um, have your girded your loins with the truth. Now you know in in that day that you, had, you got ready to fight. You had this belt and it wrapped around you. And of course the belt was a key because the belt first of all had the place for the sword. It's because the sword would go in and stay in the belt. But this, you had a breastplate, and the breastplate would move around if you weren't careful. So the belt actually the breastplate hooked to the belt, so the breastplate stayed in the same place all the time. So when you got ready, to go, the belt was the key. What did he call it? The belt of what? The belt of truth. Now, there's a mistake. It should say God's dash, God, God's blank, God's blank. And it should say God's truth is God's word. God's truth is God's word. The belt, the, 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 the belt of truth. Aren't you glad we got the truth? How many of you are so glad that you actually have the truth? Because we live in a world that there's no truth. Everybody got their own truth, Right? There's many truths. Well, everybody has their own truth path. That's true for you. This, this was true for her. This is her truth. And this is your truth. And this is this person's truth. And we say, well, but they can't all be truth because they're, they're contrary to one another. They can't be the truth. It's either yes or no. It's not yes, no, they're both yes or no. Yeah, it could be. No, it can't be. We got the truth. The Bible's the truth. I'm so thankful that I got to be a pastor, and I got to be a person that get to teach the Bible, because the Bible never changes. In other words, if Samson fought somewhere, Samson fought, it's going to always be that way. And if uh, you know, if it says put on the full armor of God, it's going to always say put on the full armor of God. And it's the truth, and it never changes. And you don't have to somebody say, oh, by the way, they came out with a new edition, they made some changes, right? I mean, if you had textbooks, the the, the, the next year you couldn't even sell it back, right? I like to sell this back. Oh, they don't take it anymore. They got a new one. You go, I paid $100 for this book, you know? And they won't even take it. Why? Because they got a new edition. Because everything changes all the time. The Bible never has changed, has it? Isn't it perfect? It is. So, what does he say? Stand, having gird your loins with the truth. That's that. Okay? By the way, it, the, the belt was so important because not only did it hold the sword, not only did it keep the shield, but if what did they wear in those days? Some soldiers had some of the shorter outfits, but some of them had the longer stuff. So if you were going to run, how are you going to run? You're going to trip. So they pulled that up and tucked it in to their belt so they could run. A belt was a big deal. Okay? Uh, I guess for us, a belt's a pretty big deal. Our pants will fall. But anyway, <laughs> right? Okay. So that was the belt. The belt of truth. What's next? And it says, and, uh, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. Oh, I love righteousness when you think about it. Uh, the righteousness. Oh, by the way, you know, he, Timmy, sin won't hurt you. Okay, so that wasn't true. How about God doesn't love you? That's not true. Works can save you. That's not true. So we got the we got the the truth. So we know those things aren't right. So the breastplate of righteousness. Oh my gracious, righteousness. Oh, let me show you something. I'm going to erase this. Y'all got this, don't you? I think we do. What's funny is once you start seeing words like humility, you'll find them all over the Bible. Every time you turn around, you'll see humility. And Christ humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross, because God has highly exalted himself because he humbled himself. I mean, it's just everywhere all throughout the Bible. Righteousness. We're sinners, right? And Jesus Christ died on the cross and took all of our sin, right? 
Does that make us righteous? It does not. Mm -mm. When we say righteousness, we mean God's righteousness. How do you get God's righteousness? Huh? I can't hear you. Oh, he, he does what? He gives it to us? He does make us right. No, no, you're doing good. Yeah, you're saying the right thing. God actually gives us his righteousness, and he makes us righteous. It's called imputation. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, Romans 4, 5, whoever believes in him, he credits us his righteousness. Let me ask you this question. How many of you in this room are perfectly righteous? How many of y'all are perfectly righteous? I am. You know why? Okay, here's me, right? This is me. And I was a sinner. I had like four sins. Okay, and there they were. And Jesus took them, right? Now, I'm still not righteous. But when the moment I believe in Jesus Christ, God gives me His perfect righteousness. Am I perfectly righteous? Yeah. To him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. If you have put your faith in Christ as your Savior, God has deposited to your account his what? You are perfectly righteous. So how many of you in this room are perfectly righteous? Every hand. Now, that's in your, 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 your standing before God. Okay, Your experience before God is you're not so pretty good. Right? None of us are. But positionally, we are perfectly righteous. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. We want to live out who we are. What's the third one? And we'll go faster. The shoe of the what? The gospel of peace. Why is it called the gospel of peace? Huh? Exactly. When you, when you proclaim the good news, and what's the gospel? The death and resurrection of Christ. And what's the response to the gospel? To believe, and when you believe in Jesus Christ, not only you have eternal life, but having been justified by faith, you now have peace with God. That's called the gospel of peace because you're not enemy of God anymore. Do you know that before you trusted Christ, you were, you were an enemy? Because you, like sheep, were going astray, each one your own way. There was none righteous, no, not one. There was not one of us that were seeking after God. We're doing our own thing. We're like mad at God, and then we trust God, and then he brings us back and says, now we got peace. Okay, it's called the gospel of peace. Uh, we talk about this all the time. There's such confusion on the gospel message. It just breaks my heart. Uh, I, I thought I'd bring something in here. Not, not to, maybe tonight. It just take. We don't have time. Just read to you what some people say is the gospel message in the response. It, it makes you, it'll make you mad. It'll make you mad. Number six, uh, what's next? Sixteen. Okay. Uh, and yeah. What was it? Verse 16? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was just verse 16. And, and take the shield of faith. Okay, the shield of faith. Wow. Faith is taking what? What is faith? What is faith? Taking God at his word. That's all it is. That's what faith is. And the shield of faith goes back to the Bible. You're, you're trusting God in his word. And that's when the doubts come. You say, no, I, I go back to what I know is true. I've had people say to me, but you know what? I, I, I know I'm saved, but, but then sometimes I start doubting. I say, what does the Bible tell you? They say, well, it says that I have eternal life. I said, okay, go back to the truth that you know. What do you believe? Right. The shield of faith. Um, faith always goes back to the word of God. Philip Bliss wrote a song long time ago, and one of the lines of the song, my faith is leaning on the written word of God. Isn't that beautiful? Number seven, verse 17, and take the what? The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Wow. Uh, I wanted to throw this out because I have, to, I have to put this up here. I know we're about out of time, but I have to put this up because it's one of the quiz questions. <laughs> There's three aspects of salvation. We know reconciliation is the story of the Bible, right? It's perfect God brings sinful man back to himself, using his son Jesus Christ. The whole idea of the Bible has to do with the salvation, and there's a salvation in the past, salvation in the present, 
and a salvation in the future. Salvation in the past is called justification. Salvation in the present is called sanctification. Salvation in the future is called glorification. You have been saved. That's by faith in Christ. You're saved and saved forever. You are being saved. That's living out the Christian life, living in the power of God, humbling yourself and having victory that way. You will be saved. That's glorification. That's when he comes and gets us. And that's why when you read passages of the Bible, sometimes people get confused because it'll say, by grace you have been saved through faith. That's justification, salvation. You have been saved. It'll say, work out your own salvation, present tense, Christian life salvation. It'll say, your salvation is nearer now than it's ever been before. That's glorification, salvation. So just understand there's three aspects. I think we've taught this before, right? Haven't we? Okay, I thought so. All right. And then last but not least is what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. It was a double-edged sword. That's what the Romans whipped the whole world with. You know, those, you've seen the movies where these guys got the big, long, curved sword, you know, and they go to fight, and the Roman guy just did this and went, shoo, shoo. that was it. Because the Roman had a sword about that long, double-edged. Most people didn't have double-edged swords, and they would, you know, swing those big old swords, and the Romans just go, shoo, shoo, and that was it. They conquered the whole world with that sword. The Machaira is what it's called. That's the word right here. And take the, and take the sword of the Spirit, the Machaira of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We always got the Word. And then finally, it all wraps up with one thing. Look at verse 18. Finally, with all what? Prayer and petition. How do you stand? How do you stand? You put on the, you put on the Word of God. I mean, you put on the armor of God, which is all these things. And you pray, and you draw near to God, and He draws near to you. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and that's how you have the victory. Is that right? How you, that's how we're going to do it, right? I, does it have at the bottom, in humility we stand strong in God's power, drawing near to God, resisting the devil, and he will flee from us? That has that? Okay, applications, let's do real quickly. Number one, Satan has been judged and will be judged by God. Satan has been judged and will be judged by God. He cannot win. You know he knows the end, right? You know he knows the book. He's read the Bible. He quotes the Bible. He knows he can't win. Well, why is he fighting so hard? Pride. Exactly. And what does he want to do? He wants to take us with him. That's what he wants. Number two, the key to victory is trusting in God and not self. And that key word is what? Humility. Then number three, put on the armor of God in order to stand against the devil. Put on the armor of God in order to stand against the devil. Uh, quickly on A, B, C, and D. I wish it was a little bit more spread out. And I'm going to put that down that because you know I'm just going to spread it out. But A, know the Word of God. You have to know the Word of God. That's the sword of the Spirit. That's the shield of faith. That's all of those things right there. So know the Word of God. That's A. B, take God at His Word. That is standing strong and living by faith, living in God's righteousness. So take God at His Word. C, know the good news message. Know the gospel. The gospel of what? Peace. The gospel of peace. And then D, be men and women of prayer. Did I go too fast? A, know the Word of God. The last one is be men and women of prayer. Be men and women of prayer. So A, uh, know the Word. B, take God at His Word. C, know the Gospel. D, be men and women of prayer. And so we draw near to God in humility. We put on the armor of God. We pray. We resist the devil. And he will what? What's he going to do? He's going to flee.